last night, many of us were in our sanctuary, and we smiled and we laughed together. And I went home last night, and I was still smiling and laughing. I even went to sleep and smiled and laughed in my dreams, Susan. And I woke up this morning, and I was still smiling and laughing, thanks to the wonderful humor of Susan Sparks. If you were here last night, you know we had a great time together. And Susan is a stand-up comedian, but she's much more than that. Just to tell you again a little bit about her story in case you didn't hear it last night, she's back in her home state of North Carolina. Welcome back, uh, Susan. And Charlotte is home for her. She spent some time also growing up, I think, even in the mountains of North Carolina, beyond Charlotte, the western part of the state. But Charlotte was primarily home, First Baptist Church of Charlotte. She grew up there. Her path took her to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill for undergraduate and then on to Wake Forest Law School. No clapping. No <laughs> clapping. I was nice to say that to begin with, so do not test my patience. I was very nice to say that. And I was moving on to Wake Forest very quickly. No partisan political politics from this pulpit and no college athletics. Okay? But she did go on to Wake Forest. Got her law degree, practiced for about 10 or 11 years, first in Atlanta and then went to New York City. And not that God had not been at work in her life previously, but, but God began to call. And she went back to seminary, made a shift in focus and careers, went to Union Theological Seminary in New York City and connected, I think, during that time with the Madison Avenue Baptist Church and started out uh, in a staff position there 19 years ago, and I believe now for 16 years, Susan has served as pastor of that congregation. In the is it 170 year in the 170 year history, uh, she is the first woman pastor, and continues to do stand up comedy around the the country and speak in various places. In fact, she was here in Eastern North Carolina uh, three or four years ago doing some breast cancer awareness and so Susan it is just a real gift to have you be here at Oakmont so join me again in giving a warm Oakmont welcome and now you can really clap and applaud for Susan Sparks <laughs> welcome my friend good morning I was um, told very clearly that uh, ACC basketball may not be discussed in this pulpit, so I just dressed it. <laughs> I have two scriptures to share with you this morning. They are very long, so get comfortable. <clears throat> First one is Hebrews 11.1. <laughs> That's it. Now. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the second scripture, John 20, 29. And then Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And there ends the readings. 
I am so happy to be here at Oakmont Baptist uh, to see my friends from last night and all my new friends here this morning. As I said last night, after meeting all the great people here in this congregation, Pastor Greg and his staff, and enjoying the incredible food, including specifically the dessert table last night and the cinnamon rolls this morning, and the music, and just the beautiful music and the choir, and I have got to give a special shout out to the children's choir. I mean, are they not amazing? Oh, so great. I'm going to take back Jonah Jonah to my choir and see if we can get it done. So I bring you greetings also from my congregation, my family, Madison Avenue Baptist Church, who is preaching up a storm about right now, too, in our pulpit. Um, as Pastor Greg said, we are uh, in New York City, sitting about five blocks from the Empire State Building and are 170 years old this year. If you are active on social media, you might have seen one of the things our church does that's gotten out there a bit are our signs. We are flat front to Madison Avenue, so we get a ton of foot traffic. And so we try to put signs on the marquees that make people think, make people laugh. Maybe make them go a little deeper, invite them in the door. I mean, like, for example, the sign that's out there this week says, what happens in Vegas is forgiven in here. <laughs> you know. <laughs> a few years ago, I think we were feeling like most people everywhere, a bit of frustration about the world in general, so we put a sign out that said, the reason so many people get lost in thought is because it's unfamiliar territory. <laughs> but my favorite all-time best sign that I think uh, we've ever put out there says, honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> we had a lot of cab drivers coming by taking <laughs> photographs of those. So keep an eye out, they sometimes go viral on social media. You know, I'd love to keep talking about my family, and I could, but I am also respectful of an old saying I once heard that sermons like biscuits improve with shortening. <laughs> so let me get to it. My husband Toby and I, a couple of years ago, took a trip to the Holy Land, Memphis, Tennessee. Y'all might have been thinking I was going to say Jerusalem, but Memphis is holy, holy territory too. Any, any Tennessee people? A few? Okay. You know. You know. I mean, it's the home to what we Southerners call the Southern Trinity, blues, barbecue, and the Bible, right? I mean, Memphis is where B.B. King polished up his wonderful blues chops, and Memphis is also home to, I have to say, some of the most grace filled ribs I have ever tasted in my life. And of course, Memphis is also smack in the middle of the Bible Belt. But there's another reason that Memphis is considered the Holy Land, and that is, of course, because Memphis is the home of the king, Elvis Presley. Where are my Elvis fans? Yes, uh, thank you, the little girl in the back, me. <laughs> thank you. Well, don't worry, if you're, not, if you're not into the Elvis thing, you don't have to be an Elvis fan to appreciate my words, but what you do have to appreciate is that for many, Elvis has reached almost a holy status himself. 
I mean, in fact, I found some interesting parallels between Elvis and Jesus, most notably by the uh, theologian Adam Sandler, <laughs> who, as some of you may know, also is a stand-up comedian. He told it like this. He said, here's some parallels in Elvis and Jesus that you might want to be familiar with. Jesus said, love thy neighbor. Elvis said, don't be cruel. Right? Jesus was resurrected. Elvis had a comeback tour. Jesus was part of a trinity, is part of a trinity. Elvis's first band was a trio. And if you're not yet convinced, consider this important fact. Jesus is the Lord's shepherd, and Elvis was married to Sybil Shepherd. <laughs> so given that clear connection, I believe that we as Jesus fans have a lot to learn from Elvis fans. Now like any good pilgrims to Memphis, we took time to go to the great shrine of Graceland. And if you've been there, you know it's, uh, it's something to see. There's this like giant welcome sign like a 25-foot high Jesus with a big sign that says, Welcome to the Blingdom. So we got our photos, and we got in line for tickets to Graceland. And while I was waiting for tickets, I turned to the tour guide, and I said, So how long has, did Elvis actually live here? There was an audible gasp from those standing in line. And the tour guide looked horrified and leaned in and whispered, we don't use the past tense here. And then I noticed her t-shirt that said, Graceland, where Elvis lives. You know, it didn't matter that she'd never actually seen Elvis or that technically Elvis had stopped walking the earth about 35 years ago. It didn't matter. She didn't care. Elvis fans don't care. Without any concrete proof, they believe he lives. Elvis lives, baby honey. The king lives. You know, it's a shame that we don't live our lives with the same kind of faith in our heavenly king. Can I have an amen on that? I, I don't know, you know, I haven't been to any other services, so I don't know if y'all are amen kind of folk. Um, my people emote on all kind of different levels. We, we tend to have three different kind of amens in my family. One is just a generic, you know, if you hear something the pastor says and you agree, you kind of nod and subtly say, amen, you know, that kind of thing. Then if there's something that's got you fired up and you want to comment to it, then every once in a while I'll get a preach it, sister. And then if it's over the top, like it has changed your life, you just can't control yourself. You can be like Gary who used to be a member of our congregation, sat in the back, and when he got fired up, he would jump in the aisle and go, that is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so take your choice this morning. Wish we had the faith of Elvis fans in our own faith life with our heavenly king. But you know, it's hard. It's just hard. It's, it's, today it's hard to believe truly believe in things we can't see we want proof you know we want a sign we live in a world where proof trumps faith honey we send robots to with cameras to the farthest ends of the universe so that we can know for sure what's out there 
right? We won't believe an assertion unless some complicated mathematical formula proves it. And anytime, anytime we see a wall with a sign that says wet paint, you know we're going to have to touch it in order to believe it. In our world, proof trumps faith. And that was kind of what Jesus was talking about in our scripture about doubting Thomas. Now, y'all remember the story of doubting Thomas? You know, it's after the crucifixion, and some of the disciples have seen Jesus, and they're telling Thomas, and he doesn't believe. And he says, I, I'm not going to believe unless I can actually touch those wounds. And sure enough, Jesus shows up and says to Thomas, touch the wounds. And he does. And he believes. And I, I can imagine, and, you know, I read the scripture and imagine what, what would the tone of Jesus' voice be. It might be a little sarcastic. You know, there might have been a neck roll going on with it, too, because Jesus, I can see him going, well, great, you believe now because you've seen me. But yet, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I mean, are we able to believe what we can't physically touch and see? Can we do that in this day and age? Do we have that kind of faith? Well, let me tell you who does. Elvis fans. And it's my contention this morning that there's three things that they can teach us about our own faith, how to deepen and make our own faith meaningful. And here's lesson number one. If you believe the king lives, you will wear it in all you do. Now, if you've ever met an Elvis fan, you know they do literally wear it in all they do. Elvis fans, honey, they'll... They'll dress up like Elvis. There's Elvis impersonators. They will wear Elvis t-shirts. They will wear Elvis jewelry, Elvis hats. They'll decorate their homes with Elvis. You know, one of my favorite gifts in the Graceland gift shop was an Elvis sprinkler. It was like a foot high, and Elvis had on a sequin jumpsuit, and as he waters your yard, he would swivel his hips. <laughs> it's just the greatest thing. Because they believe the king lives, those Elvis fans wear him in everything they do. You know, let me put it to you a little different way. A couple of years ago, I was listening to NPR and an interview with, of all people, Jesse Ventura, <laughs> pro wrestler, ex-governor of Minnesota. Now, let me just be clear. Jesse is not my go-to place for wisdom. All right? But in this particular interview... He said something profound. There was an election coming up, and he was making some comments, and he said, you know what? I think we'd be a lot better off if we made all of our politicians wear NASCAR suits. Now think about that. Y'all have seen NASCAR suits, so those white jumpsuits the drivers wear. What's on the, what's on the jumpsuit? The sponsors. Who's the spo biggest sponsor? The one that gives the most money. Big sponsor right front, smaller sponsors, a little less money, sponsors down the sleeves. He said, we ought to make our politicians wear NASCAR suits because then we will know who owns them. Mm, thank you. That might even be a preach it, sister, right there. I mean, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Seriously. And I thought when I heard that, I thought, well, isn't that the greatest lesson? Not, you know, forget about the politicians. That's a good lesson for us. You know, we all, 
technically wear every day we walk out the door we've got our NASCAR suit on and the question is who owns us who's your center sponsor is that center point you know efforts at trying to advance and work or make more money or you know chasing approval or is that center point on that NASCAR suit a faith in a risen Christ if we believe the king lives, honey, we will wear it in all we do. And I'm just going to, I have to say a little aside here. Um, I'll give you a great example of that, and that is this congregation. Now, I don't want y'all to think I'm saying that because I'm preaching here. I don't, that's not my style. You know, I don't say things I don't mean, but I have been so moved reading about the mission work of this great church, and especially this community center that I've been hearing about. It's wonderful you know, offering affordable housing to the working poor, bringing in medical care, bringing in tutoring, you know, bringing in uh, recovery work for folks that are in need. Uh, talking about wearing the, the belief in the risen Christ as your center sponsor, I'm, I've been so inspired by that. I, it reminded me, actually, when I was thinking about it this, this weekend, I'm a big Dr. Seuss fan. I don't know if there's any Dr. Seuss fans here. His birthday would have been yesterday. That's what brought it to mind. Anyway, he has a great quote, and that is, it, he said, um, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to change. Nothing. It's not. And I just wanted to raise up your great work as an example of wearing, wearing your faith in a clear way and how you work. So that's lesson number one. You believe the king lives, you will wear it in all you do. But here's the second lesson. If you believe the king lives, then you will find community. Now, Elvis fans believe, so they go out and look for other Elvis believers too. You know, there's a million Elvis fan clubs. Actually, there's 400, but 400 Elvis fan clubs worldwide? You know, did a little research, you can find anything on Google, and I found out that a few years back there was actually an Elvis church established, ready, it was called the Presbyterian, I'm going to pause here, not Presbyterian, Presbyterian church in Pennsylvania. I'm just telling you what I read, okay, as reported in the local media, the first gathering the minister wore a gold lame robe and serve communion of Little Debbie cakes and a Coke. <laughs> we Christians can learn something from this, not the Little Debbie part of it, but we can learn something from that yearning for community. You know, being a Christian is hard. It's hard, and we will hit hard times and times that we need help and we need lifting up. And Great things can come when individual souls band together. It's like Jesus' words, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. A couple of years ago, my church admin, Brian, decided he was going up to Vermont to learn kind of an ancient skill, and it was called dry stone walling. If you've ever gone up in the Northeast, like Vermont or New Hampshire or Maine or even upstate New York, you, you might have seen, you probably saw them on TV, these old stone walls that are just all through the countryside. And they're not from like 1976, they're from like 1676, and they're still standing. 
and he wanted to learn the art form of crafting those walls. And he came back and he shared it with our congregation and he said, you know, it's very careful choosing of the stones and placement, but he said there's a key and a secret to it and that is at the heart of the wall, right in the center. And in the heart of any well-made wall, there is a collection of tightly packed stones, smaller than your fist, all packed together. And it's called parting, H-E-A-R-T-I-N-G, parting. And these stones, because they're packed so tightly together, keep that wall upright, and it blocks all the elements that might come in. I mean, bottom line, a wall without adequate hearting can fail in a surprisingly short time. And when he talked about how that's built, I thought, wow, you know, that is all the same for us in a church because building community starts with building a collection of hearts. A collection of hearts. And when brought together, those hearts can form a fortress that cannot be brought down. If we believe the king lives, we will look for others who believe as well and build a community and build something great. Now, I said there are three lessons, and I'm not going to leave you hanging. I got one more. Third lesson, if you believe the king lives, you will actively seek him. Now, Elvis fans are constantly looking for the king, and even though he's been technically dead for quite some time, they still believe he lives. So they seek him. And sometimes they look hard enough, they find him. I mean, there have been Elvis sightings all over the world. From Michigan, I think it was a Dunkin' Donuts in Michigan, to a spa in Tokyo. My favorite was a woman that swears she saw Elvis's face in a taco shell in Chi Cheeks. If we believe the king lives, we will seek him too. Like Jesus' commandment in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and, you, and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. I, I just worry sometimes that we, we look for God in very limited places. Like we expect, we're going to know we're going to find God in church. You know, God's right here, very present. We can feel God right now. But if we only look between 11 and 12 on Sunday, well, that leaves 167 other hours in the week. We're not looking. And you know, God is all in the little nooks and crannies of life. It's in that 167 hours where we don't always think about looking for God. Our Bible study class is reading a book by Barbara Brown Taylor, who I'm sure y'all are familiar with her. The book is called An Altar in the World. It's a beautiful book. And she talks about finding God in the most unexpected, everyday places. And she says this, Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it's a wonder we can walk anywhere without bumping our shins on an altar. God is present in all places and at all times in life. And if we truly begin to seek God, truly begin to seek Christ in all aspects of life, we too may see his face materialize in an unexpected place, like in the face of a stranger, or in the face of an immigrant, or in the face of someone in your beautiful community center who is hungry or homeless. I mean, who knows? 
Maybe one day we as Americans might begin to see the face of Christ before we see the color of someone's skin. We're not there yet by a long shot. But we can be if we believe he lives. If we believe he lives, we're going to act like he lives. We're going to look for others who believe. We're going to seek out and look for him. We're going to wear our faith in all we do. The Christian faith's not a passive faith. It's a faith of action. I mean, Elvis felt that way too. He apparently said early in his career, music and religion should both make you want to get up and move. I mean, the gospel's a living, vibrant force. It should make us want to get up and move. Move out into the world and in mercy and, and love. Move in towards each other with forgiveness and compassion. Go out and bring in the kingdom or, or the blingdom, <laughs> whatever it takes to heal this broken world. This week, this is what I want you to do. Find a quiet place. Just find a moment in a quiet place and ask yourself, do I believe? Do I truly believe? And from the deepest parts of your heart, the answer will surely come. He lives. He lives, baby. The king lives. And the people said amen. amen. <laughs>